Chapter 28 of The Way of Perfection by St. Teresa of Avila. This is a Discerning Hearts recording read by Chris McGregor. The Way of Perfection by St. Teresa of Avila. Translated and edited by E. Ellison Pierce. Consider now what your master says next, who art in the heavens. Do you suppose it matters little what heaven is and where you must seek your most holy father? I assure you that for minds which wander, it is of great importance not only to have a great belief about this, but to learn it by experience. For it is one of the best ways of concentrating the mind and effecting recollection in the soul. You know that God is everywhere, and this is a great truth, for, of course, wherever the king is, or so they say, the court is too. That is to say, wherever God is, there is heaven. No doubt you can believe that. In any place where his majesty is, there is fullness of glory. Remember how St. Augustine tells us about his seeking God in many places and eventually finding him within himself. Do you suppose it is of little importance that a soul which is often distracted should come to understand this truth and to find that in order to speak to his eternal Father and to take its delight in him, it has no need to go to heaven or to speak a loud voice? However quietly we speak, he is so near, he will hear us. We need no wings to go in search of him, but have only to find a place where we can be alone and look upon him present within us. Nor need we feel strange in the presence of so kind a guest, as we should to our Father. Ask him for things as we should ask a Father. Tell him our troubles. Beg him to put them right, and yet realize that we are not worthy to be called his children. Avoid being bashful with God, as some people are, in the belief that they are being humble. It would not be humility on your part if the king were to do you a favor and you refuse to accept it. But you would be showing humility by taking it and being pleased with it, yet realizing how far you are from deserving it. A fine humility it would be if I had the emperor of heaven and earth in my house, coming to it to do me a favor and to delight in my company, and I were so humble that I would not answer his questions nor remain with him, nor accept what he gave me, but left him alone. Or if he were to speak to me and beg me to ask for what I wanted, and I were so humble that I preferred to remain poor and even let him go away, so that he would see I had not sufficient resolution. Have nothing to do with that kind of humility, daughters, but speak with him as with a father, a brother, a lord, and a spouse. And sometimes, in one way or sometimes in another, he will teach you what you must do to please him. Do not be foolish. Ask him to let you speak to him, and as he is your spouse, to treat you as his brides. Remember how important it is for you to have understood this truth, that the Lord is within us and that we should be there with him. If one prays in this way, the prayer may be only vocal, but the mind will be recollected much sooner. And this is a prayer which brings with it many blessings. 
It is called recollection because the soul collects together all the faculties and enters within itself to be with its God. Its divine master comes more speedily to teach it and to grant it the prayer of quiet than any other way. For hidden there within itself, it can think about the passion and picture the Son and offer him to the Father without wearying the mind by going to seek him on Mount Calvary or in the garden or at the column. Those who are able to shut themselves up in this way, within this little heaven of the soul, wherein dwells the maker of heaven and earth, and who have formed the habit of looking at nothing and staying in no place which will distract these outward senses, may be sure that they are walking on an excellent road and will come without fail to drink of the water of the fountain, for they will journey a long way in a short time. They are like one who travels in a ship, and if he has little good wind, reaches the end of his voyage in a few days, while those who go by land take much longer. These souls have already, as we may say, put out to sea. Though they have not sailed quite out of sight of land, they do what they can to get away from it, in the time of their disposal, by recollecting their senses. If the recollection is genuine, the fact becomes very evident, for it produces certain effects which I do not know how to explain, but which anyone will recognize who has experience of them. It is as if the soul were rising from play, for it sees that worldly things are nothing but toys. So in due course it rises above them, like a person entering a strong castle in order that it may have nothing more to fear from its enemies. It withdraws the senses from all outward things and spurns them so completely that, without its understanding how, its eyes close and it cannot see them and the soul's spiritual sight becomes clear. Those who walk along this path almost invariably close their eyes when they say their prayers. This, for many reasons, is an admirable custom since it means that they are making an effort not to look at things of the world. The effort has to be made only at the beginning. Later, it becomes unnecessary. Eventually, in fact, it would cost a greater effort to open the eyes during prayer than to close them. The soul seems to gather up its strength and to master itself at the expense of the body, which it leaves weakened and alone. In this way, it becomes stronger for the fight against it. This may not be evident at first, if the recollection is not very profound, for at this stage it is sometimes more so and sometimes less. At first it may cause a good deal of trouble, for the body insists on its rights, not understanding that if it refuses to admit defeat, it is, as it were, cutting off its own head. But if we cultivate the habit, make necessary effort, and practice the exercises for several days, the benefits will reveal themselves. And when we begin to pray, we shall realize that the bees are coming to the hive and entering it to make the honey, and all without any effort of ours. For it is the Lord's will that, in return for the time which their efforts have cost them, the soul and the will should be given this power over the senses. They will only have to make a sign to show that they wish to enter into recollection, and the senses will obey and allow themselves to be recollected. Later, they may come out again, 
but it is a great thing that they should ever have surrendered. For if they come out, it is as captives and slaves, and they do none of the harm that they might have done before. When the will calls them afresh, they respond more quickly, until after they have entered the soul many times, the Lord is pleased that they should remain here altogether in perfect contemplation. What has been said should be noted with great care, for though it seems obscure, it will be understood by anyone desirous of putting it into practice. The sea voyage, then, can be made, and, as it is very important that we should not travel too slowly, let us just consider how we can get accustomed to these good habits. Souls who do so are more secure for many occasions of sin, and the fire of divine love is more readily enkindled in them. For they are so near that fire that, however little the blaze has been fanned with understanding, any small spark that flies out at them will cause them to burst into flame. When no hindrance comes to it from outside, the soul remains alone with its God and is thoroughly prepared to become enkindled. And now let us imagine that we have within us a palace of priceless worth, built entirely of gold and precious stones. A palace, in short, fit for so great a lord. Imagine that it is partly your doing that this palace should be what it is. And this is really true, for there is no building so beautiful as a soul that is pure and full of virtues. And the greater these virtues are, the more brilliantly do the stones shine. Imagine that within the palace dwells this great king, who has vouchsafed to become your father, and who is seated upon a throne of supreme price, namely, your heart. At first you will think this irrelevant. I mean the use of this figure to explain my point. But it may prove very useful, especially to persons like yourselves. For as we women are not learned or fine-witted, we need all these things to help us realize that we actually have something within us incomparably more precious than anything we see outside. Do not let us suppose that the interior of the soul is empty. God grant that only women may be so thoughtless as to suppose that. If we took care always to remember what a guest we have within us, I think it would be impossible for us to abandon ourselves to vanities and things of the world, for we should see how worthless they are by comparison with those which we have within us. What does an animal do beyond satisfying his hunger by seizing whatever attracts him when he sees it? There should be surely a great difference between the brute beasts and ourselves, as we have such a father. Perhaps you will laugh at me and say that this is obvious enough, and you will be right though it was some time before I came to see it. I knew perfectly well that I had a soul, but I did not understand what the soul merited, or who dwelt within it, until I closed my eyes to the vanities of this world in order to see it. I think if I had understood then, as I do now, how this great king really dwells within this little palace of my soul, I should not have left him alone so often but should have stayed with him and never have allowed his dwelling place to get so dirty. How wonderful it is that he whose greatness could fill a thousand worlds 
and very many more, should confine himself within so small a space, just as he was pleased to dwell within the womb of his most holy mother. Being the Lord, he has, of course, perfect freedom, and as he loves us, he fashions himself to our measure. When a soul sets out upon this path, he does not reveal himself to it, lest it should feel dismayed at seeing that its littleness contains such greatness. But gradually, he enlarges it to the extent requisite for what he has set within it. It is for this reason that I say he has perfect freedom, since he has power to make the whole of this palace greater. The important point is that we should be absolutely resolved to give it to him for his own, and should empty it so that he may take out and put in just what he likes, as he would with something of his own. His majesty is right in demanding this. Let us not deny it to him. And, as he refuses to force our will, he takes what we give him, but does not give himself wholly, until he sees that we are giving ourselves wholly to him. This is certain, and, as it is of such importance, I often remind you of it. Nor does he work within the soul, as he does when it is wholly his, and keeps nothing back. I do not see how he can do so, since he likes everything to be done in order. If we fill the palace with vulgar people and all kinds of junk, how can the Lord and his court occupy it? When such a crowd is there, it would be a great thing if he were to remain for even a short time. Do you suppose, daughters, that he is alone when he comes to us? Do you not see that his most holy Son says, Who art in the heavens? Surely, such a king would not be abandoned by his courtiers. They stay with him and pray to him on our behalf and for our welfare, for they are full of charity. Do not imagine that heaven is like this earth, where if a lord or prelate shows anyone favors, whether for some particular reason or simply because he likes him, people at once become envious, and though the poor man has done nothing to them, he is maliciously treated so that his favors cost him dear. Verse 